Welcome to The Reforming Lounge, a podcast on spiritual formation for the wandering heart. Every Wednesday, we gather to discuss questions centered around mental health and discipleship in the context of the local church. All right, guys, welcome to The Reforming Lounge. We hope you guys are enjoying the start of your morning. Uh, my name is Marco. I'm one of the hosts of this podcast. I'm here with Mike Fowler. How are you doing, bro? Doing great, man. Got my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> got my snacks i'm good to go you have snacks with you? how are you sir yeah bro that's nice my daughter uh bought these little uh fruit strip things your daughter bought them isn't she like two yeah dude she is so we were walking through target and she just like grabbed them and put them in the cart and i didn't intervene which i should have but i didn't and we bought them um now you're benefiting from it and well, it's almost a sacrificial love thing. Like I'm looking at them and I'm like, dude, I don't want her to eat these things. These are horrible. So I'm going to eat them instead. Nice. There you go. That's how you so do it. This, yeah. So yeah. And, and you're having more coffee. So we're just going to lay it out for listeners. We're gonna, like, so we pre-record all of these episodes. And so we, uh, we schedule some time out throughout the month and hammer out a couple of episodes. And so um, if you're just tuning in, we are on a series called The Secular Trinity, and you heard the first episode in this series last week. Um, mm -hmm. However, we are recording all of these on the same day. So how many cups of coffee are you in now? Mm, so I'm past the sweet spot. Last episode, I said I was at the sweet spot. I'm past that spot where I'm just You're starting jittery. to get tired. No, past that too. Past jittery and slipping into... I'm getting kind of sleepy. You're going to so, crash. Yeah. But I've still got about an eighth of a pot or so go. to consume after this cup. So someone's got to finish. Yeah, it. man. Going strong. Nice. There you go. Yeah. How many cups are you having? Fruit Loops or Cinnamon Toast, cinnamon crunch, toast crunch? Um, I mean, this is what this animal cup is 20 ounces, right? That's a big cup, right? And so I think that's what this is. Yeah, I'm on my third one of that, and I have my pot of coffee next to me, and it feels like I still have maybe half a pot left. So it's a lot of coffee. Uh, this podcast that you do for Storehouse is the Native Citizens. It's called the Native Citizens, yeah. Dude, when you said on there, one, I forget what episode it was, but you were like, uh, I think it was, is it Eric, the guy that's with you? And I think he said that he didn't drink coffee or he didn't yeah. have enough coffee. Yeah. And you're just like, that's why no one will remember your name. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I laughed so hard. Like that, that line just annihilated me. I didn't realize it was from Troy at the yes. time. I thought it was just <laughs> being you. Yeah. I mean, Dude, in a way it was, I, I didn't hold back. Now here's what's interesting about that. Uh, Eric, Eric one didn't drink coffee um regularly too um he knows i love pour overs i make my own you know i do my own pour over whether it's the higher v60 the chemex whatever and eric even on the episodes he would make fun of me because i measure everything the water the beans the grind all that stuff right now here's what's funny wow boy now does it oh boy now does it and it wasn't it was not <laughs> in a out yeah it wasn't a result of like me telling him hey you need to do this um so his his wife abby has some family in arkansas and so i think last summer or the summer before they drove up to arkansas and one of my favorite coffee places is called onyx and they're out of arkansas so anyway eric and abby go to onyx and they buy coffee eric sends me a picture 
And I was like, dude, Onyx coffee is amazing and it is pricey. You better weigh those beans so that you just don't waste, you know, like big old handfuls of coffee that you're just not going to get down here. Yeah. And he said, yeah, that's a good idea. And I was, and so I even told Abby, the only reason I am uh, suggesting that he weighs those beans is because of the price that you just paid for that bag. And she said, no, that's that's good. And I guess weighing the beans and grinding them and all that stuff got him hooked. And now he does it. So man. it's not my fault. It's just, you know, hey, man, let your yes be yes. Your no be no. Boom. Mm-hmm. Just teaching him how to live. Well, just teach just him how to live, man. That's it. That's, my, that's what I do as a pastor. So, oh. <laughs> And so, yeah, so homeboy weighs all of his beans and all that stuff now. Anyway, so segue into uh, our, <laughs> our topic for this morning. I think we're doing better with segues. Well, transitionally, no. But anyway, um, so last week we started uh, a series called The Secular Trinity. And the idea behind this secular trinity is that Christians are forfeiting the Holy Trinity, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, and embracing another kind of trinity in uh, the world of therapy, uh, what we're calling the new psychology, which is what we're talking about today, and self-care, which you mentioned, but that'll be something we talk about next week. And so what we're seeing right now within the church is a lot of Christians. And I don't think, here's one thing I would say, I don't think Christians are, are articulating it this way. I think it is something that they are revealing in their work. Right, revealing in, in by the way in which they live, their social media, and and certainly their everyday practices, and so we're seeing Christians, um, uh, yeah, forfeit the Holy Trinity and embrace this secular Trinity of the new psychology, self care, and and therapy. And if you weren't here with us last week, one of the things that we said was that this isn't necessarily bad. That there are some some helpful um, things that we can take away from the world of psychology and, 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 and realms of therapy. There are some things that we can take away. However, we are spending most of our time talking about some of the harmful ways in which Christians kind of commit this heresy about denying the Holy Trinity and embracing this, this, this idol of the secular Trinity. Now, with that being said, this morning, we're going to be talking about the new psychology. And I know that's been something that you've been telling me to, to define, like, tell me about the yeah. new psychology. And I'm just going to be totally honest. The, the, the title, <laughs> the, the title of the new psychology really comes from C.S. Lewis's book, uh, the screw tape letters. And <clears throat> yeah, you remember that book? Yes. Yes. So okay. good. So it is when screw tape, this is chapter 25 in the opening paragraph. It is when screw tape is writing to Wormwood and he says, if men must be Christians and all it, at all, excuse me, if men must be Christians at all, may they be uh, what I like to call uh may they subscribe to what I like to call Christianity and. And so he goes on to list all of these other things to accompany Christianity with. And one of those is Christianity and the new psychology. So whatever is like popular, whatever's trending right now, whatever other people are subscribing to, let's uh, have Christians uh, subscribe and, and accompany that into what, what they are believing. Yeah. And so fast forward to our time here, when it comes to the new psychology, one, its origin comes from chapter 25 and uh, the screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis. But what we're addressing regarding the new psychology is some of the things that we've already been talking about, but principally it is um, popular or pop psychology. 
um, uh, trending assessments like the Enneagram when we did an episode on the Enneagram, how it's dumb. Um, but not just the Enneagram, like, I mean, I know tons of Christians and, um, Christian leaders and pastors who are all about Myers-Briggs and all about uh, all of these different kinds of the DISC assessment. Um, and again, some of these things are are actually helpful. And we we talked about that. And if you didn't hear the episode on the Enneagram, we would suggest that you guys go back and check that out. However, the new psychology tends to be pop psychology or popular psychology, these trending um the trending popularity among a variety of assessments for individuals to kind of subscribe to um, the new psychology tends to be um, almost even like, uh, for instance, um, enlightenment, like where, where, where is it that we can find and how is it that we can find enlightenment, the pursuit of specifically the pursuit of, of happiness, right? The, um, that when it comes to happiness, enlightenment, spirituality, one, it's a billion dollar uh, industry too. Um, it is something that people want, like they pursue that so that they would receive inner revelation. Whereas scripture teaches the Bible teaches that revelation is actually on the outside and it is God revealing himself to us, not something that's actually coming from within us. So anyway, in a nutshell, that is what I would describe. I don't know if I defined it well, but that's what I would describe the new psychology as. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. I think that was a good description because it is, I mean, it's not necessarily just one thing. It's kind of a multitude of things that yeah. can be made too much of. Right. So, yeah, yeah. That's like a, it's a junk drawer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's interesting. Uh, we didn't really talk about this before, but what's interesting about pop psychology in particular that I think makes it unhelpful uh, is that what they've seen through like the implementation between research that we have and it actually making its way into the culture there's about a 15 year gap and so wait say that one more time between the research that we have on things uh-huh. and its implementation into like the culture as a whole and it actually being utilized there tends to be about a 15 year gap what for real yeah. So why I think that's particularly problematic that people don't realize is so for example, ah, let me back up. There's the <laughs> there's a lady real, real quick, there's one thing I'm noticing, especially last week as we covered therapy, now we're covering the new psychology. Like okay. I feel as though each one of these areas of I'm I'm speaking very, very broadly, each one of these areas of psychology or therapy tend to have just multiple avenues in terms oh, of like yeah. where you can go with all this. So I, I yeah. can see you struggling and I'm just like, yeah, I'm learning like, bro, it's not like you might define it one way right now, but then there's like 10 books that might say otherwise. And so oh, yeah. anyway, I was just, I'm, I'm, I'm learning more about that. But anyway, can, I interrupted. continue. No, you're good. You're good. So uh, for example, there's a couple secular books that I tend to recommend for relationships that I think are far beyond a lot of other stuff that I've read. Um, so one of those is the seven principles of making marriage work by Dr. John Gottman. John Love Gottman has, Oh dude, don't even get me started. We don't have time for that. <laughs> we do not have time for that. But sorry. So they don't misunderstand. Love and respect is not one that I recommend. We're gonna talk. <laughs> we need sorry. a full episode. We could. We. I mean, we are gonna do a full episode on on love yeah. and respect. I've I've had yeah. people in both my congregation and just social circles who are like, "Man, this is a great book," and it's like, "No, it's not. It's a stupid book." Anyway, yeah, continue. 
Yeah. Uh, so what John Gottman did is basically he conducted a research experiment. It's called longitudinal research. So it's not just at one point in time, but he follows these couples over the course of a number of years. And how he compiled his research is he looked at what made the difference between couples that made it and couples that consider themselves happy and to have a, a healthy relationship and couples that didn't. And from that data, he put together seven different key factors that they all had in common. So that's based on an extensive amount of research. Yeah. And then the book itself is coming from the person that actually did the research. Right. 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 Which is very, very different from it's someone. Very fascinating. With Dude, it's great. It really is. It's it's really good information. It's helpful information. Um, but that's so different from reading a book from a person that read his book and then sort of applied it in their own terms in their own life in whatever way, right? Yeah. Which it seems to me with a lot of the, like the Christian living marriage books that I've encountered yes. tends yeah. to be what happens. Tons of people will cite John Gottman. He's a huge name in marriage therapy. And so people will, will reference him, but these aren't always people that are fully understanding his concepts. And so if you think about it, just in terms of degrees of separation, I mean, if the author that's representing this person is misunderstanding them and misquoting them, and then it's like telephone, then you read that mm -hmm. and maybe mm -hmm. understand it in your own way. You may or may not be getting the real information that you're actually thinking. Yeah. Wow. So what, so, what yeah. were like and, the seven things that he found? Now I'm so curious. Do you know them by heart? Do you know a couple of them? Uh, dude, I should. I wrote my master's thesis on it. Um, wow. So I know it's like cognitive maps, love maps is what he calls it. And so that's just like having understanding and awareness of your spouse. Um, so if I were to ask you, like, what's a normal day like for Rebecca, you being able to tell me or not tell me is significant to your marriage, right? Wow. If you're okay. like, oh. I don't know. I don't know what, what time she gets up. I don't know what she has on her day. I don't know, you know, if she's stressed about anything today. I don't have any awareness of that. Wow. That's that's something to be noticed, right? Um, second one is fondness and admiration. So that's basically just like knowing and appreciating good things about each other. So obviously you're going to have your frustrations in your relationship, but at the same time, there's, there's reasons why you're together and there's things that brought you together. Right. Um, so being explicit about those things, mm -hmm. the third one, uh, I might be getting them out of order, but I'm pretty sure the third one is turning away versus turning against, um, or turning towards. So he breaks it down into three different categories. Yeah. Turning towards would be, let's say you and Rebecca are sitting on the couch and you're not really chatting and she sees something interesting she finds on her phone. Uh, maybe she's looking at an article and she makes a comment about it. There's three different ways you could respond to that, right? You could say, oh, that's interesting or find some way to engage in the conversation. Mm -hmm. That would be turning towards her. You're responding to her and what mm -hmm. she's saying. Mm -hmm. You could turn away and just not say anything maybe stand up and walk away. It's just like not really a response, a response right. to it. And then there's turning against, which would be the more negative side of you're an idiot that you think that's interesting. <laughs> you know, something that's like blatantly <laughs> conflictual right. in that moment. Yeah. Um, and so the way that people respond to each other, that's significant. And I don't want to spend too yeah, much time talking there, about yeah, it. Yeah, no, there's the more. Others. That's good, man. Dude, I, we should do an episode on that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting information. That's really sure. cool. I dig that. Okay. 
Cool. Yeah. All right. So, so reeling it back to, to the new psychology, as, as you and I were talking about this, we really hammered out these, um, we began to hammer out these three areas that, um, we're, we're, we're seeing some activity in. And so one of them you mentioned here is that churches or congregations are beginning to lean more into pop psychology, which you, you just referenced is, uh, is often misunderstood or even misapplied. And they're leaving their theology and their discernment at the door. At the la- in the last episode, we spoke a great deal about discernment. I, I know I really pushed that. How about changing the roles a little bit? Why don't you explain that? Or could you explain that? Congregations leaning more into pop psychology leaving theology, leaving discernment at the door. What's um, actually, you know what? I'm lying. Let's just stop real quick. Let's talk briefly about when it comes to pop psychology, when it comes to the assessments that we, we were talking about, when it comes to some of these different avenues of even like the pursuit of spirituality, right? What's helpful about these things? We, we talked about how therapy could be helpful. What can be helpful about uh, some of these that what can be helpful about the new psychology? Uh, I mean, I think you, you have to be able to identify a problem before you're able to change a problem mm. in some ways. And so, you know, if you think about just the doctrine of sin and like what we're being saved from, like if we don't even know in what way we're sinners, in what way we're falling short of what God has for us, um, in what way we're falling short of being the spouse that we're called to be, then how do we address it? Right. You know? Yeah. And so I think in that regard, it can be helpful. Like, like these seven principles that we're talking about with Gottman, right? If I don't realize that it's, it makes a difference if I respond to my spouse or if I ignore her when she's talking about something that maybe I'm just not really interested in, that stuff adds up. And if yeah. I don't know that, which a lot of people, they just don't go through the process of thinking about that, of these small moments that can really accumulate to a really big problem. Um, then just having that awareness can be helpful. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, absolutely. And so, okay, so there's a, clearly, there are these helpful areas upon which the new psychology can actually benefit an individual, particularly a Christian. Yeah. What is it that you're seeing? What's the concern that you have when it comes to Christians now leaning more into the new psychology while at the same time leaving theology and discernment at the door? Um, let me read you something. Is that okay? As an illustration. Yeah, no, go for it. I texted you this. I'm not sure if you saw it. This is a, it was on Instagram. Uh, this pastor, I forget where he's at. Andy Stanley. You heard him? Yes. Yeah. I remember that. I'm pulling that up. Go for it. And so I don't know a ton about this guy, but I think this is a helpful example. Um, so he's, he's addressing things that tend to make happy couples in marriage. This is a pastor from the pulpit, right? Say that so one more says, time. So with our connection, you, you froze for like a microsecond. So say that one more time, just so that everybody knows what you're about to read. So what, who's he addressing is, or what's he addressing? This is a pastor mm-hmm. that's talking about things that tend to make couples happy. Cool. Okay. This is Andy Stanley. So, Go for it. Yeah. So he says, number one, happy couples know they owe each other everything, but they're not owed anything in return. Number two, happy couples know that putting each other first means choosing to be last. Number three, happy couples know when one person wins, the relationship loses. Number four, happy couples make a habit of choosing to believe the best about each other. I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with any of those things, but this dude is a 
preacher, mm-hmm. where, where, where is the gospel in any of this message? Right. Like he, it's just, it's presenting this information that John Gottman would back up some of this, right? Mm-hmm. Number four, that's actually the, the fourth on the, um, the sound marital house that mm-hmm. that's what John Gottman calls this thing. And so, I mean, there's, there's stuff to back this information up, but where is Jesus in any of this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't think we just need to know from our pastors what, marriage research tells us about what makes a happy couple. Right. Right. I think we need to know how the gospel comes into play with those things. Yeah. 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 I think, man, one of the dangers about subscribing to, even when you look at Andy Stanley's, you know, these four principles about what it looks like to be a happy couple. When you, when you leave the gospel out, like it, it, it leads to questions that I think, this is going to sound very absolute, but it leads to questions that only scripture can address in a way where you're actually going to be, you're actually going to have to evaluate and examine the condition of your heart. Um, and so, for instance, um, number two, happy, uh, happy couples know that putting each other first means choosing to be last. The first thing I think of is like, yeah, but why? Yeah. How, how does that um why should that exist? Because we could say like, yeah, that's a good thing, right? Like choosing to choosing to be last, right? Making sure that we're serving one another. Yeah, but why though? Tell me yeah. more about the role of the Holy Spirit. Tell me more about uh, Mark 10, where Jesus says, hey, if you want to be great, you must be a servant. For even the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served and to be a ransom for many. Tell me, tell me more about what that looks like now in the context of marriage. Happy couples know putting each other first means choosing to be last. Man, how does that relate to what Paul tells the Philippians in chapter two to not do anything out of strife or conceit, but um, but putting everyone's needs before your own? And he does that right before he goes into what's called the Christ hymn, which is verses five through eleven, where he says that Jesus emptied himself out. Now, now counting himself equal to God, but dying even to the point of uh, dying on a cross. And so my mind immediately goes to that's good. And what are the implications? What are the biblical implications as to how you can get here? If I, if as a congregant, right, not just, not just an individual who doesn't know the Lord, but specifically as a congregant, if I am not being led or taught about, you mentioned it really well, like, man, the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and how God is at work in me and in my wife. If, if that isn't existing, then, um, or that is absent, it's going to lead me to think my pastor just told me this, he must know the Bible. Therefore, um, when this goes sideways, I need to, I need to turn to something else. Cause now clearly scripture doesn't have the answers for me, but the reason scripture doesn't have the answers for me is because my pastor hasn't said anything regarding this. Right. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like all of those things. I mean, like all these verses that you're pulling out, like I I think that we could, you know, find biblical ground to stand on to support Mm -hmm. these things that he's Mm -hmm. saying. But I think that's where the disconnect is, is if we're not preaching those things, I say we, but I mean, even, you know, just preaching to each other, preaching to ourselves. Hey bro, you preach, bro. You, you are responsible to preach the gospel to your wife and and child. Yes. You preach. Yes. You preach. (laughs) And so it's about what are we pointing it to? You know, yeah. is it just based on willpower? You do these things ultimately because you want a happy marriage. There is no gospel in that. And how long does it take for something like that to run out? Yeah. And when it runs out, where does that leave you? Because it's like, well, if I know these things, my pastor's telling me these things, like I read about these things, I know I'm supposed to be doing these things and I just can't all the time. Yeah. 
but that's the only message that you're getting. Where does that leave you? Yeah. Well, I think if, if you leave the gospel outside of that, what it, it is going to do to the individual, the one who's like trying to carry this out by sheer willpower is it's going to lead them in one of two places. It's going to lead them either into pride or to despair pride. Yes. Look at what I've done. Look at how awesome I am. Despair. Yeah. I can't do this religion. I can't do this. I can't do this Jesus thing. I can't do this marriage thing. I can't do this relational thing. I can't do this life thing. And so it's going to lead them to one of those two places. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's, uh, yeah, that's the point that I was trying to make is that I think it just leaves people feeling empty of like, yeah, I know all this stuff and I'm not doing it, but you're right. There is the other side of that of I'm a great spouse. How come yeah. my spouse isn't doing this stuff? Yeah. You know, if they would just do exactly. XYZ, yeah, we if they would better. just listen to me, if they would only do things this way. Yeah. hundred percent. If they would just put me first, why don't they put me first? If they were to put me right. first, they'd, they'd know how well I serve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, great yeah. 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 No, dude, man, I, I agree. I think again, going into the, the, the embracing of this pop psychology, but the same thing could be said about some of these assessments and I don't want spend too much time on them. Cause you know, we did the, the whole Enneagram thing, but like, um, man, I mean, I see so many Christians just posting so much more about the way they're wired based on their number or their letter or based on whatever their assessment says about them. And they are communicating whether they're they would articulate it or not, they are communicating, this is my identity. This assessment has given me value and identity. And in doing so, they are denying, man, they're, they're denying what God did in Genesis 1, where he creates Adam and Eve in his image. And it was in that moment where he bestows upon them worth, dignity, and value as people, as individuals. And so when I see individuals, when I see Christians embracing all of these different kinds of assessments and then posting about them and then talking a great deal about them, like, man, the reason I respond this way is because I'm a six. No, the reason you respond that way is because you're a jerk. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. there, yeah. there is this thing where you are actually denying the way in which you deny God's glory here is by denying that he is the one that has given you dignity, worth, and value. And so as a result of embracing this heresy, you say that this assessment is what is giving you worth, dignity, value, and identity. Right. It's almost yeah. dismissing it, the doctrine of, of the Imago Dei. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. And the sovereignty of God. Right? Oh, yeah. Of like his ability to work in these things. As I, I think uh, I was talking to a friend about the, the Enneagram a few days ago. And because uh, he's a fan, I think he has a balanced view of it, though. Um, yeah. Like he's really just like, you know, I think of it as a tool. Like it's helpful for us to realize things about each other. And something he right. said that I thought was significant is he's like, if, if we're seeing our weaknesses through the Enneagram and we use those as being able to repent of those things and identify areas that God's probably working on our heart, then that's, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Right. But if we're obviously taking it and saying, well, I'm a six, so this is just the way that I respond and there's nothing I can do about it. That's yeah. where it definitely becomes. A yeah. Problem. That's, that is forfeiting sanctification. It's and, right. and, and, and you don't necessarily have to have an assessment to, to have that kind of a comment, man. Cause I, I see, I oh, see sure. it even in my office, right? Like, well, this is just the way I am. Like, hold on. Now we got to talk about where you are, specifically with the Lord, what's the Holy Spirit doing in you? What's happening? Like, no, dude, I'm sorry. Saying this is just the way I am, like, is really an excuse for you to be liberal with your sin. Yeah. That's that's yeah. actually not taking ownership. In fact, when you say that this is just the way I am, like, this is just the way uh, 
God made me kind of a thing. Like when you use that as an excuse, really what individuals are doing in that moment is that they are being like Adam in the garden, right? Jesus, or yeah. So, so God comes in, calls Adam and he says, what have you done? And Adam's response is the woman whom you gave me. So he gives like two views, like one, she jacked this up, but really you're the one that jacked this up because you made her and you gave her to me. So yeah, this, Hey man, this is just the way I am. <laughs> you know, yeah. I did what I yeah. had to do. And really, this is your fault. And so that's all it is when people are like, man, it's just the way I am. No, what you're doing is you're trying to hide your sin. You're trying to justify your sin. Yeah, man, that's good. That's a good connection. Since the dawn of man. Yeah. Trying to just Since hide the your dawn sin of just... man, you are afraid of God. Um, <laughs> and so last time, I'm pretty sure everybody could hear me pouring coffee. I'm done with this pot now. Get it. I already um, finished my pot. That's okay. That's so cool. Um, I already forgot what I was saying. So in light of in light of all this, right? Or you, oh, real quick. So we talked about pop psychology. You talked about even assessments. Even when it comes to like spirituality, like I see people pursuing, I see Christians pursuing spirituality because theology is hard. Yeah. Yeah. Where's another mic that I could just drop? Like, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> grab one yeah and so um yeah i that's what I, I have a pen maybe that'll it's just there you go didn't make the exact thing oh that's, that's sad diplomatic anyway so so i see christians like uh pursuing spirituality because theology is hard um yeah. man when the when the scriptures particularly psalm one says that the blessed man is the one who delights in the Lord and on his law, he meditates day and night. When people read the word meditate, they're like, well, yeah, I'm thinking about God. No, no, it means to think deeply about the things of God. When when David says in Psalm 27, that one thing have I asked the Lord that I will seek after. Spurgeon says about that verse, Charles Spurgeon says, holy desires require resolute action. So it's like, man, if you want this, you got to go, you got to go after it to think deeply on the things of God. Um, asking good questions, not just how does this make me feel rather than asking, how does this make me feel? I rather ask, what did the text actually say? Yeah. Right. Like I rather, I rather ask like, uh, well, how am I going to apply this to my life? I rather ask, man, how does this connect to your need for a savior? And so I see Christians tempted to pursue and embrace spirituality because theology takes work. And, and quite honestly, like when you fast forward to the book of Hebrews in chapter five, that's what the author rebukes them on. In, in verses 11 to 14, he stops, like he abruptly stops by saying, I want to tell you more of the doctrine of Christ, but I can't because you become dull of hearing, right? Um, and and that, that little phrase, dull of hearing, means that you become sluggish, like you've become apathetic. And so he yeah. goes on to say, some of you ought to be teachers by now, but instead you need someone to teach you the basic oracles of God. You don't need mature yeah. food or you don't need solid food. That's for the mature. You need milk because you're unskilled yeah. in the word. And then he yeah. concludes in verse 14 by saying that mature, that, that solid food is for the mature, for those who have, um, who have the constant practice of distinguishing good from evil. That, that little phrase, distinguishing good from evil, is discernment. He's like, that's yeah. who the mature food is for. It's the ones who yeah. are constantly practicing discernment, not for you. Yeah, you gotta catch up. I just, I just preached, I'm sorry. Boom. Drop your pen. Drop no, man. Pen yeah. <laughs> oh, that was just, yeah, I don't know. What do you think? I'm getting my uh, cinnamon toast crunch creamer. Oh, that's that's so disappointing. No, it's not. You haven't had it. 
No, dude. Yeah, I don't think I want to. But you that's do okay. though. Um, sorry. What was the question? <laughs> I asked you to give your own thoughts on that because uh, we talked about pop psychology assessments yes. and then like even the pursuit of spirituality. And, and the idea here is that man, Christians. Some Christians are tempted to pursue spirituality, you know, like inner revelation because theology is hard. Yeah. Yeah. That was it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Whatever you yeah, said. I yeah. Think that, we, that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> one of the first things that came to mind when you said that at first too, is that theology confronts us in a big way mm-hmm. that just general spirituality isn't going to. Mm-hmm. I think that's what's so uncomfortable about it is having to identify and reconcile like our shortcomings and our inability mm-hmm. in a lot of ways to be able to do something about it ourselves. You know, I think I that's so uncomfortable. About, yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Can, keep going. Uh, you're good. You're good. Yeah. Uh, I was just saying, I, I think that's so uncomfortable that it makes sense that it pushes people sometimes to these places yeah. of, you know, wanting something a little bit, maybe it feels more tangible and it feels like we're more in control right. um, if we're able to utilize these other things. Right. But really, that's not showing any sort of a dependence on God, which is what he wants ultimately, yeah. right? Yeah, I agree. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we were uh, working through Colossians and I got to Colossians 3 where Paul addresses husbands and wives. And, you know, men and women are just like at the edge of their seat. What is the pastor going to say? And like one of the things that I mentioned, like, I, I mean, in, in addressing both men and women in the church, one of the things I mentioned was when you consider uh, like machismo or down here machismo or chauvinistic culture, what that tends to preach is that uh, women are the problem, right? And then when you address feminism, hashtag love and respect, hashtag love and respect. Yeah. Coming back it, to that. Burn it. Um, it and, and then with feminism, right? What feminism tends to preach is that men are the problem, right? And so you have these yeah. two ideologies really un- that can be really, really unhealthy and very abusive. And to use, to use the phrase that the kids use nowadays, toxic, whatever. Um, what I love about scripture is that scripture says, no, both of you are the problem. Yeah. And so now we're going to look at the condition of your heart yeah. and, and, and people hate that. Like, yeah, people, I mean, but here's the thing, like people hate that just as much, like when we, when we don't want to address those things, we are really being like Adam and Eve. So, so once Adam and Eve sin, they realize that they are naked. So prior to them sinning, the Bible teaches that they were naked and unashamed, completely vulnerable with one another, enjoying one another without sin. And the minute that they sin, now they are naked and ashamed which is why they try covering their tracks up, covering themselves up and hiding from God. Mm. And that's the same crap that Christians do when it comes to, man, the word of God, piercing our hearts, piercing our souls, discerning the intentions of our hearts. What we want to do as Christians is we want to cover our tracks up. We want to cover ourselves up and we want to hide from God. Yeah. And so how do we address that directly? Like I, I, I feel like I, there's times where I'm like, I'm aware of some of those things in my own heart. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I'm able to just kind of lay it on the table and like, you know, aware, be, be aware that I'm dependent on God for those things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But in these moments of like real discouragement for people where they're looking for these things and they're getting 
billions of messages throughout the day from the culture, things that they're exposed to, the people that are in their lives mm-hmm. that reinforce all the same message that is like basically running in the other direction yeah. of yeah. what the gospel would say of you don't have control and you need to relinquish these things and let go yeah. and really depend on Christ for this yeah. healing. When they're in this place where they're struggling with that, where, where would you point someone to? So the few things would be, Going back to what we talked about last week, right? Like, I want to point them back to the pages of scripture and point them to biblical community, right? Like, there, I mean, it, if there is a foundation of that, if there is a yeah. foundation of that, I could be totally vulnerable with you about yeah. some of the deepest, darkest things that I'm experiencing, some of the discouragements that I'm going through. Um, in addition to that, you, as my, as my, as my Christian brother, right, are responsible for me as if we're in the same church, you are responsible for me in checking in on me, even before I come to you about some of this stuff. And I think yeah. oftentimes the church is too reactive, right? And so when Paul tells the Galatians <clears throat> to bear one another's burdens, that means your problems are my problems. And so the church is reactive to that. And I think that's why sometimes people feel unheard um, or unknown within the church. Um, But if there was this proactive pursuit of biblical community among, based on what the, the, the scriptures teaches, I think many, maybe not all, but I think many of these concerns would actually be addressed before they are extremes. Because yeah. the truth is like scripture doesn't deny that we're, we're, we're going to be, we're going to find ourselves discouraged. In fact, scripture teaches that we're going to experience discouragement. We're going to experience disheartening moments. We're going to experience tribulation, pressure, persecution. We're going to be rejected. We're going to be dismissed. We're going to be unloved. We're going to be sinned against like all of those things. The Bible teaches we will experience and not just by those who do not know and love Jesus, but by those even within our own church community. And yeah. so if I really want to do something about it, I think one, I need to, as a pastor, create a culture in my church where biblical community is something that's proactive, not something that's reactive. Uh, and then two, I want to make sure if I'm just a congregant, man, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm in community with others where, where we are developing that sort of a relationship so that, so that me or them are comfortable putting things on the table. Like there's been a few times, for instance, where I've told you how hard my week was. And the first thing you say is, Hey man, you know, do we need to talk about some stuff? How are you doing? How's your heart in this? You, you ask thought provoking questions like that should be normal. And, and, and I think in American Christianity, it is not. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like, I like how you talked about it just being so reactive in the church because it's almost like the church is maybe the American church um, is living in this expectation that people are sinless Mm -hmm. and that they are not just because maybe they're not living in like habitual continual sin that they don't struggle with sin period. And I think the congregants live in that way a lot of times too, if, if we don't have a healthy doctrine of sin. Right. And so then when something big comes out big, relatively speaking, right. It's the the obvious explicit things that people are really hurt by and uncomfortable with um, that it's like, Oh, well, you're really struggling with sin. So you need to get into this program or whatever it is when it's like, yeah, rather than we're just living under the assumption that you do struggle with sin, yeah. whatever that looks like in yeah. different ways on a daily basis, and you need to be actively confessing and repenting of these things, mm-hmm. not just once you're found out or once you've slipped mm-hmm. into something that is a big mess. 
when maybe it could have been addressed before because lust, for example, right. We don't start off with some big sexual sin, right. There's so much that's happening in our minds and in our hearts far before that. And if we're already repenting and confessing of those things, then hopefully it can keep us from this other stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, a hundred percent. I agree with that. I think, um, I think, yeah, man, I think the church needs to learn to create a culture where we're proactive, actually, actually pursuing one another. Cause I think like, here's the thing, like that's something that, that is, that is visible in the life of Jesus towards the disciples. That is something that they are convinced by as apostles. Like you consider Paul at first Corinthians, uh, first Thessalonians, he tells uh, the Thessalonians in chapter two, that we were not only uh, grateful to, to share the gospel of God with you, but our very lives with you because you had become dear to us, right? It is this giving of themselves so that the church would flourish and thrive um, in their immediate context. And on top of that, I was thinking about context. I was thinking about, for instance, like in DFW, um, like I remember when I lived up there, like part of the context, part of the culture preaches like the pursuit of happiness, right? Like you just, you just got to go it that you're sinless and you just got to work through this and church is a great addition right to yes. what you got going on right so similar to to what screw tape tells wormwood right christianity and right and so like in the dfw it's like christianity and success christianity and career down here contextually right it's it's not so much that one of the things tends to be like christianity and uh mysticism right and so it's like man i'm going through this stuff well you know what part of the reason you're probably going through that's because you got a demon inside you and that's the reason you uh you're all sorts of jacked and you should go to therapy. But what you really need is to extract this demon from you. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's part of it. Yeah. So so yeah. particularly in, in large spheres of Hispanic Christian culture, it tends to be this mix of charismatic theology, indigenous belief and dense family Hispanic family culture. And that tends to be its own its own thing. And so when it's like... Um, uh yeah when, when when it's like man i'm I, you know i haven't i haven't found a wife like you know why you haven't found a wife it's probably because you got a demon like there's sin in you as to why you can't yeah. do this and so yeah. you you think about that in terms of the context when you really do have an individual who is discouraged and disheartened who's experiencing the kind of pressure that is like just just beating them down and you think about the kind of churches that you and i are surrounded by it's like yeah there's no like there's no wonder they run away or they don't yeah. know how to engage the people of God. Right. Yeah. I think it, it just goes back to what we were talking about earlier of it being able to take us to a place of despair. Yeah. If, if the gospel isn't explicit and central to those messages, mm-hmm. because then it just, I mean, like with the singleness thing, right? Like, I know that's a really difficult thing for yeah. certain people. Uh, mm-hmm. And especially depending on the stage of life that they're in. Yeah. Um, and it's not that it's a bad thing to be desired, but when right. your church is on top of that, acting as if, you know, you have to be married or you have to have kids to be able to be in that's whatever what type godly. of community group. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like, that's the expectation. And, yeah. you know, I've heard people make the case of like, well, Jesus never had kids. Jesus was never married. And it's right. it's not that those things aren't untrue, yeah. but I think it's the implicit message that comes through of yeah. like these programs and things like that that are focused on these unique life stages that some people may experience. Some people won't. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. We started doing this thing uh, maybe like two years ago where we, I should say 
where I, from like from the pulpit, purposely address singles when it comes to like addressing husbands and wives, for instance, like when we were in Colossians or when we've done yeah. these, these, we don't even call them marriage classes anymore. We, we call it like relationships or relational classes. And, and like, because mm. I want to address singles, but I think what they like isn't so much that I'm like, oh man, if you're single, God loves you, which is true, but that's not what they're looking for. They're looking to be grilled. And I love that. They just, they don't like, I think some single people hear the men get grilled. The married women get grilled. Single people are like, so I just keep doing what I'm doing. I'm like, I want to grill them just as hard when, yeah. when it comes to uh, just in some of these areas. I got one guy right now. He was like, Hey man, I want to, we're going to meet tomorrow. And he was telling me, Hey man, I want to meet up. And I, you know, I just bought, a, I bought my first house and you know, I'm doing really well at my job. And I was like, yeah, that's great, dude. I think that's wonderful. He's like, I just, you know, I want to talk about being in a relationship. Like, like, I think I'm ready for a wife. And I was like, all right, guy, <laughs> it's the, the goal, the, the, the old, I think I'm ready for God to give me a wife spiel. And I was like, oh, man, I don't think you need a wife. And he's like, well, what do you think I need? I was like, humility. That's what you need. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and he was just like, well, what, what do you mean? I was like, you can go date a good Christian girl, right? I'm not, you don't need my permission. That's not, that's not what, what this is. What this is, is you, you need humility. Basically what you just told me is I've done all the right things and I'm ready for God to bless me. Like I should Ooh. elbow you in the face. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Dang. That's good. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I think so. He probably isn't as eager for those conversations. <laughs> I can empathize with him. I feel like I've been on the receiving end of those conversations and it has, you know, ultimately been good things just, yeah, yeah because, again like in that context and we can get off on a tangent but in that context i'm just like you don't need my permission to go ask a girl out you know like go right. go ahead man um but what you just said though this is what you just communicated so that tells me more about your heart than anything and that's that's my role as a shepherd not the whole you need my permission to go go ask yeah. a, a young girl out to to, to, to dinner um yeah so as we as we keep diving into this whole new psychology, one of the things that you 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 wrote in our notes was that that God wants all of us, and you talked about that earlier. But here you mentioned something really really interesting, and we've we've touched on this a little bit. You mentioned that when we slip into, for instance, therapeutic deism, and I want you to to, to talk about that. The first thing I thought about when when we were going through this was was moralistic therapeutic deism. Um, I don't know if that's where you were headed, but when you yeah, think about therapeutic deism, you 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 said that we fool ourselves into believing that our understanding uh, of what is good lines up with, with what God has for us and uh, that God can f- be fit into these areas that we think we need his help in. So, so could you unpack that when you wanted to kind of tackle therapeutic deism? Yeah. I mean, what I was thinking about with that is that I think like it, it made me think about the whole program thing mm-hmm. and how, you know, there's different types of programs for different types of, sins or um, life stages or any of those things. And I think when we start, what can happen with that model, not always, of Mm -hmm. course, but what can happen is that it's like, we feel like we've identified the area that we need to be sanctified in. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we think that we're giving God permission to work on this area for us. Um, And 
maybe we know the areas that we need to work on. Maybe there's some awareness there, but I think there's also a lot of times where there's not like this example that you're talking about with the sky, right? right. Like maybe it is that your time that you're ready for a wife and you're being called into, you know, seeking a wife, but maybe <laughs> you just think that this is my next area yeah. for God to give me these things. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So that, that was kind of the, the large scale thinking of just like, sometimes we're going to have an awareness and sometimes we're not, but where I think that can really get dangerous is at that point, are we going to God because we love God and because we mm. want what God wants for us? Or are we trying to prove ourselves to him and earn whatever area mm. of, you know, betterment, whether that yeah. be mental health or relationships or job right. success? Or- I mean, cause at that point now what we're doing is adopting in a way, we're adopting a theology of works, man, right. that God will be pleased with me because I have done X, Y, and Z. And so some people would say, you know, isn't that what obedience is? And, and I would say, yes, that is what obedience is. However, when we point back to the pages of scripture, there is this one little passage in First Peter 1, where Peter says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to your former ways, right? Um, he's talking to them about who they were and their sin and all that. But, but what I wanted to focus on is the opening part, as obedient children. In other words, if you belong to Christ, God calls you his son or daughter. Mm-hmm. Therefore, because of that, we obey. We don't obey so that God would love us. Right. We obey because he already does. And he is already pleased with us because of Christ's work for us and the spirit's work in us. And yeah. so in some of these areas, when we forfeit that and we're saying, man, well, I've done this, I've done that. Like, well, now we're adopting a theology that is contrary to our relationship with God as father. Yeah, man. I'm just thinking about that. Like if, if we were to apply that same line of thinking to our actual earthly relationships, sure. how sad and twisted that would be. Yeah. Like we, we think we can do that with God that, you know, I'm going to, kind of show him all the things that I've done and hope that he accepts me Yeah. Uh, because of it. It's like, what if, I mean, if, if Seth had to do that with you, you know, yeah. or if, if you felt like you had to do that with Rebecca of, you know, look at all these things that I did for you today. Are you happy with it? Today? Right. And, and yeah. so, the, but the truth is that some people, um, some people actually do that. You know what I mean? Some uh, people yeah, actually, yeah. actually say that like, and, and here's the thing, that is the gospel upon which they preach. If you do these things, I will love you. If you don't do these things, then I won't love you. Now, what's, yeah. what's so interesting about that is like, even when you and I consider our children, we would say, oh man, we never want, you know, we would not want to do that to our children. Right. Yeah. But here's the thing, like, um, why do you love your daughter? Well, because she belongs to you, right? Like you love her because of who she is. Right. Yeah. Uh, what's so much better than that. Why the gospel is so much better than that is because God loves us in spite of who we are. See, outside of Christ, we are wretched. Our hearts are dead. Um, We Mm -hmm. are in rebellion to God. We are estranged from God. We are alienated from God. We are under the wrath of God. And in spite of who we are, Christ saves sinners and reconciles them to the father. Yeah. Yeah, man. (laughs) I don't preach. You should preach on that. I'll preach. I'll say something like that on Sunday. (laughs) That's good. I will say that there are glimpses that I've been able to have of me loving my daughter, Mm -hmm. despite who she is. Mm -hmm. Cause that kid straight up punched me in the eye the other day when I was changing her diaper, (laughs) like a full on right hook. 
I almost went down. It was vicious. That's awesome. But uh, you know, it was a good it was a good picture of like living in rebellion and being left despite of it. So um, uh, I wanted to pull, I remember reading this article, but I, I couldn't. Um, I was like, who 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 wrote this? Anyway, so this is uh, this is Al Mohler. Uh, I think he's the president of Southern Seminary in, in Louisville, Kentucky, and he writes an article on moralistic therapeutic deism, and he's quoting right. Christian Smith, and and he says something really interesting about this. And and if it's off topic, tell me. But here here's what he he says. Um, so this is Al Mohler, and he's about to quote Christian Smith. So he says, moralistic ther- therapeutic deism presents a unique understanding of God, as Smith explains. Um, this faith is, quote, about belief in a particular kind of God, one who exists, created the world, and defines our general moral order, but not one who is particularly personally involved in one's affairs, especially affairs in which one would prefer not to have God involved. Most of the time, the God of this faith keeps a safe distance, end quote. And so I think when, as you were talking about therapeutic deism, I think... Um, you said something really good early on talking about, man, whether or not our understanding of what good is lines up with, with what God has for us. I think that begins with, well, who do we say God is? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like that, that must be the first question that the individual must answer. Who, who do we say that God is? And so when you apply that to the doctrine or philosophy of moralistic therapeutic deism, MTP um, or MTD, um, when you apply that, that philosophy or ideology is suggesting that God has done these things and now he's bounced. And oftentimes that ideology comes from a real experience that people have had, that individuals have had to equate with, in this case, God, the father. And so there is this like regular, I'm trying to please him so that he would say he's proud of me or that he loves me, or I'm trying to do these things so that I'm not like him. I'd rather not have him involved in this area because this is really personal to me. So there never really is this vulnerability when it comes to yeah. um, moralistic therapeutic deism. Um, and and kind of going all the way back to the beginning of our conversation, it can lead an individual to pride or despair. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And um, in my mind, that that sort of draws up this uh, this whole issue of emotional health that I know we're going to talk a lot more about. Yeah. Um, but it's like kind of this like level of protection that we need that gives us some sense of you know security and control um, so that we can kind of bring up our scorecard yeah. um, in hopes of of earning our worth. Whereas. <clears throat> I think what we see, especially in the Psalms, um, with just the way that David is so explicit about mm-hmm. the things that he's going through and feeling, um, that it's it's it seems to me a really clear picture that we can bring these things to God, even these frustrations and the mm-hmm. despair that we do feel, yeah. um, and that He's here for that as well, and that we'll be sanctified. Yeah. in that process as yeah. well. Yeah. But if we cling to those things so tightly, going back to this, this whole thing of new psychology, if, if I clean up myself in this area, then God will be able to accept me. Right. It's like you can bring that stuff to him. Yeah, exactly. One of the last yeah. things that you had touched on offline was this idea or this, this, uh, the, the conception of self-actualization. How does that play a role in the new psychology? Yes. So that is a concept. uh, I think I misquoted last time. I forget 
what episode it was we were talking about this, but I think I said it came from Rogers. Uh, it came from this dude, Abram, Abram Maslow, um, who came up with something that he calls the hierarchy of needs. Mm-hmm. And the pinnacle of the hierarchy of needs is self-actualization. Um, but then there was a guy, Carl Rogers, who I initially gave credit to. Um, he actually expanded on it. Um, and so what he ended up saying is he, he thinks self-actualization is really the main driver for people, period. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. self-actualization is the reason why we exist and the reason why we live. Um, and so in regards to the new psychology um, and how that impacts our understanding of the gospel is that if we're leaning into some of these beliefs about self-actualization, let me, let me back up and define self-actualization. Yeah. So basically the idea is yeah, that that'd be helpful. self-actualized. <laughs> Thanks bro. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that a self-actualized person would be a fully functioning person so it's like uh it makes me think of like rpg video games where you can like max out your characteristics right sure so it's like this idea that we can i feel like seth would respect that reference thank you sir maybe i don't know maybe i don't know maybe i don't know hopefully i'm gonna assume that he would (laughs) um but it's this idea that we, we can actually get to this point of like living as we're intended to live. Right. Um, which I think from like a theological perspective would be untrue, right? We're not glorified until we're dead. Right. Um, which would be the real like biblical version, I think, of self-actualization. Right. Then again, the self-actualization implies a lot of control that we don't right. actually have. Right. Um, and so there's a few, I'm so sorry to interrupt. I had a question in line of what you just said before I forget, do you think like you said, that's in contrary, that's contrary to what scripture shares. Do you think self-actualization is a a better phrase for what people are looking for when it comes to like enlightenment and spirituality, right? Like I'm the one that discovered this. I'm the one that figured this out rather than, you know, what, what Bible, the Bible teaches is that revelation is external. It is God who, uh, works in you or does work for you and works in you. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Uh, And I I don't, I don't know if that's something that people are necessarily aware of. I I don't think they would explicitly say, this is what I'm after. But the idea with self-actualization, even with this article that I have pulled up, um, it gives a, a huge sense of control that we just don't have. Right. If you've ever lived in Abilene, Texas, you understand that we just don't have the control <laughs> that we think that we have. <laughs> nice. That was cool. So, so even going through this article, no offense it's like, to our Abilene friends. I'm sorry. One of my staff members also went to ACU and she really loved uh, Abilene. Takes a special person, dude. Takes a special person. Just my uh, quick, quick side story. This is funny. My aunt and uncle were driving through um, Abilene last week and she texted me on their way and she was like, hey, we're passing through Abilene in like 20 minutes. Where do you think we should go eat? And what I said to her is my strongest recommendation for Abilene would be you drive through it as fast as you can and don't look back. <laughs> And I explained to her that there is no good place to eat in Abilene. It's good relative to being trapped there. But if you are able to go other places, then there really is nothing good to we be. We drove there. through Abilene and, but we drove through the outskirts of Abilene. And I told Seth, Hey, this is where LC went to school. 
And he was like, this looks like the fringes of an abandoned city. And I was like, yep. It is. I mean, yeah. I'm not knocking it, dude. I would not want to live in Abilene. I'm just saying it takes a special sure. bird to want to be there. You and I are not that bird. Mm-mm. No. I would also wonder, because it, it seems when people went on, you took us down this road. I'll try to defend <laughs> I already, Abilene. I, I concluded my thought, bro. Okay. Okay. We'll move on. All right. So back to self-actualization. There's a few <laughs> things that Carl Rogers list out that would make a person um, self-actualized. self-actualized. Uh, one of those things is called unconditional self-regard. I'll read you the definition for this. To have this characteristic is to live without doubting yourself and your worth based on individual experiences. And then there's a link of ways to practice self-love. All right. That's what I was looking for. So, uh, yeah, exactly. So we wouldn't be able to really get down with something like that. I mean, it's it's antithetical to the gospel in in a few different ways. But I think one of those ways being that scripture explicitly tells us to doubt our right. our hearts right and our thoughts right? right because they're not the lord's um right the and, heart and, is deceitful yeah, yeah. who can understand yeah. yeah yeah and then even self-love i mean i think that like there's a balance here of we're you know we're created in the image of god we do have human dignity and yeah, that's something that should be honored and valued but that doesn't mean that we're infallible and we're perfect right we should doubt ourselves we should have right. some level of comfort and knowing yep. that we're imperfect humans and i think at least being christians we have our hope and we don't have to be able to do those things right we we, we can rely on the fact that we're gonna drop the ball yeah yeah <laughs> and that thankfully we have a savior that's better than that anyway yeah you know i'm reminded every time i hear like self-love or i hear the phrase just forgive yourself uh particularly from christians i'm just like you you actually can't yeah you know yeah. that is something that is done for you you know, yeah. I'm, you know, I think about, so Paul says this in Ephesians one, he says, and so this is after he has just unpacked um, this, or this is as he is unpacking the role and functions of the father, the son and the spirit. And so um, it's in verse 18 where he says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Um, And he keeps going. He keeps unpacking the immeasurable greatness of God's power for those who believe. And what's the, 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 Part of verse 18 that I love is where he says, having your eyes, or excuse me, having your eyes of your hearts enlightened, like that was done for you in the father sending the son to die for you, for your sin in your place so that you would, so that you might be reconciled to him, having the spirit of God dwelling in you and all of this being enlightened now, like you were looking for enlightenment, you're looking for actualization it actually came externally and it came externally in the form of god entering into human history walking in your steps or walking your the life that you can't live dying for your sin right taking responsibility for your sins so that you might experience forgiveness yeah yeah that reminds me of uh what we talked in the last episode about like some therapeutic styles kind of reinforcing cognitive dissonance (laughs) and things that don't line up. And this idea of, you know, trying to fully function within ourselves and dependent from or independently from other people completely. Yeah. 
as if we can just like we're self-sustaining, which only right. God is self-sustaining, yeah. right? That that would be a great example of that. Of just yeah. forgive yourself. Right. Yeah. yeah. Forgive yourself and read love and respect. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> makes me so mad makes me so mad Uh, so man okay so as we as we wrap up the new psychology are there are there any last thoughts comments that you would want to add for our uh, our listeners to take read screw tape letters if you haven't yes so good it is amazing so so good we'll Uh, have a link in the description boom boom yeah read read c.s lewis's the screw tape letters it's this wonderful wonderful book um man i would leave with the same thought i think i think here's here's the thing the same thought is going to apply to therapy the new psychology and self-care it's it's going to be hey if you deny discernment that means you want to willingly be persuaded by another doctrine that is contrary to scripture and when you deny discernment you deny God of his glory and you suggest that your understanding is above the authority of scripture. If you don't want that, then I would say, then you must practice discernment. Yeah. Yeah. That gives me an idea. That gives me a final thought. Is that we, we can make gods out of anything, right? Yeah. People used to literally worship, I mean, golden statues yeah. and not that yeah. that doesn't happen anymore, but I think we can trick ourselves if we say, well, I'm not worshiping a golden cow, so I'm good. You right. know, yeah. but man, we can make idols out of anything. It's, it's f- shocking. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, what Jesus says, right? Like it's not what's external that, that defiles yeah. you. It's what's internal. What's inside is yeah. what defiles you. So cool, man. Yeah. Clean. Nice. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Reforming Lounge. Uh, Join us next week as we're going to cover the last part of our series on the secular trinity as we tackle self-care. Yes, sir. All right. Well, we'll see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to the Reforming Lounge podcast. Follow us on social media at the Reforming Lounge on Instagram. If you have questions, we want to hear from you. Visit thereforminglounge.com.